is the Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. In the studio today, good afternoon, Warwick Long with you. Great to be with you for the Country Hour today. Uh, We were going to be on the road, but that was before the Victorian Farmers Federation shelved votes, well, an important vote, on its future, on constitutional change, uh, lengthening the ongoing battle about what the Victorian Farmers Federation should be and what representation there should be for Victorian farmers at a state government and indeed a national level. Today, right now, at a meeting room in Melbourne, that meeting has gone ahead without those important votes, putting VFF President Emma Germano uh, in front of her high-profile critics. Here's some of what's being said today. And I hear you say, Emma, we don't think you were listening to us. So you tell me how you'd like to engage or what it is that you would like independently facilitated so that instead of saying you don't like it the way that we're proposing it, you'll say we don't like the way that you're proposing it, but here's another solution, here's another option. And those against her are having their say forthrightly when they grab the microphone. Very clear after gathering proxies and quite a number of proxies from talking to membership that they are actually on their last gap of staying a member because of the fact that they can see the organisation has lost its way. And so I agree. I mean, Emma, you come from a very privileged position talking to us today about reconciliation, etc. And as far as members go, I mean, the reconciliation absolutely should be happening. But the problem is that the membership feel that you're not listening, the board's not listening. And so until that situation changes in terms of the board not listening to the membership, this is going to continue. And it shouldn't, but it will. So what is the fight for the future of the Victorian Farmers Federation all about? And can a path forward be found at a meeting like this? We'll talk about that. We'll try and work it out together. The Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Bridget, please sit down. There is Bridget, please sit down. If anybody is not going to engage in good faith following the rules, you will be ejected from the meeting. I have offered everybody that Bridget, no, uh, Bridget, you did you not? Thank you. That's tabling the president report, and I'm going to welcome the CEO to give his report, and we will take all of the questions at the end. There's no motions to be moved from the floor. Thanks, Ross. You bet it's been fiery today in Melbourne as the Victorian Farmers Federation discusses its future. The much-debated, much-focused-on vote to change the Victorian Farmers Federation constitution has now been abandoned. But... The organisation's AGM has still gone ahead. The president of the Victorian Farmers Federation, Emma Germano, acknowledged it's a tense time within the organisation that represents Victoria's farmers and is meant to represent them to government and other decision makers for their future. First thing that I want to acknowledge is the frustration that's in the room. I can feel the frustration and we're all feeling it from different uh, sides of the coin. We have to be here today to have a constructive conversation. Respectful debate has actually been one of the key founding principles of the organisation. That's actually what makes our policy better. It's what makes our advocacy better. And it should be what makes the organisation better. But we're actually at a point in time where the debate has no longer uh, been from a safe and respectful place. 
trust and safety should be the very foundation that the organisation is built upon. And I appreciate that both sides of the story, if you will, feel that there has been an erosion of trust. And that's what I would like to uh, attempt to start mending today. Mending of trust. How did we get here? You can have your say. You can always text us 0467 842 722 or indeed give us a call 1300 977 Stay with me here. Let's go through some of the history as we talk about proxy voting, which has been central to the debate around whether this vote should go ahead or not today. But let's go back in time first. The vote was to streamline management of the organisation to the board and make the board a more skills-based board as opposed to representation by commodity groups such as dairy, grains and livestock. The push ahead with change was controversial with a number of high-profile disagreements with the Victorian Farmers Federation and within it over the last year. Most of the United Dairy Farmers of Victoria board and committee members have resigned and formed their own organisation outside the VFF called Dairy Farmers Victoria, saying there are no longer any dairy staff at the VFF and dairy farmers weren't getting value for money. Grain farmers have been angered by a decision to sell a share portfolio their organisation had procured for the VFF to fund activities by the organisation and the cutting also of resources to grain farmers directly to work on their issues and concerns. There's also been disgruntlement about not having money for things like sandwiches and uh, meetings with committee catch-ups. Livestock producers have been angered by the cutting of resources as well, and board members from this group have resigned their positions. In fact, in July last year, three board members, one from Grains, one from Livestock, and one from the Egg Council, resigned, citing concerns with the operations of the VFF's board and their place within it. Twice, attempts were made by disgruntled members to develop petitions to force a spill of VFF leadership. Twice, the VFF board rejected those petitions due to a change being against the constitution. That ended up in court. The Victorian Farmers Federation successfully argued that the organisation and under its own constitution, there was no mechanism to remove its president. However, despite the disgruntled members and the push for change, VFF leadership pushed on with its own move to change the constitution with a roadshow and then ultimately a vote due today. There was a large campaign from those for change in the Victorian Farmers Federation and those against that change who want to see a change in VFF leadership. See above the uh, two uh, petitions and then the courtroom uh, drama that we've just been speaking about. A pre-filled proxy voting form was emailed on multiple occasions by Victorian Farmers Federation President Emma Germano with disgruntled members angry that this form didn't give members a choice. It was pre-filled saying the person who sent it back was voting in favour of the constitution change, i.e. with the president. And then late last night, the board emailed members to say the vote on these changes to the constitution would not take place. It was a big decision with many wanting to have their say. This is some of the reasoning on the amount of people wanting to have their say from Emma Germano earlier today. In this AGM, or for the, this AGM, we actually have had well over a thousand proxies come into the organisation from all sides, expressing all different opinions. Well over a thousand means that nearly a quarter of the members are actually engaging with the VFF. So if what we were looking for was increased engagement, 
well, we've certainly ticked that off. Now, some people will say that the engagement is negative. Some people will say that the engagement is positive. But what I know for a fact is that what the engagement has demonstrated, particularly over the last two years, is how fiercely we all care about the BFF and how we're here for the reasons to actually promote advocacy on behalf of our community of farmers. And it's that proxy voting. If you're not familiar with proxy voting, that's filling in a form and uh, sending your vote in rather than attending the AGM to make your vote on whatever uh, that decision may be. And that proxy voting system was what's blown up the vote on constitutional changes. In a letter to members, the Board of Directors cited significant irregularities with the 2024 VFF AGM proxy process, with many proxies being invalid or unable to be certified. We're getting into that in a moment. Also, which might have go into why this was pulled. On Sunday, Andrew Wiedemann, a former Grains Group president, leading critic of current VFF president Emma Germano and the lead plaintiff in a case in court that he ultimately lost against the VFF calling for a spill of leadership. He sent the VFF company secretary, Gary, Gary Bottomer, a letter outlining numerous concerns over the constitutional changes and particularly the way the proxy voting process was being conducted. He said members had no trust in the proxy voting process and were concerned a large number of non-members and associate members could have signed the electronic proxy voting form. Here are the board's reasoning for abandoning the vote around the proxy reasoning and including Mr. Wiedemann's letter. Here's Emma Germano speaking through that today. So to the proxies and the issues with the proxies, given that ordinarily the VFF would have about 30 proxies for a meeting, the proxy process and system was overwhelmed by, like I said, well over a thousand different proxies. Some of those proxies were legitimately invalid and very easily able to be identified as being invalid. Things like not a financial member, not a member at all. Um, you know, the, the document was quite clearly not stipulating a particular position, those things. But then there was also a substantive and material number of proxies that were uncertifiable. So one couldn't tell one way or the other. And the returning officer, Brendan, who is the returning officer um, as per our constitution, indicated to me on Thursday of last week that there was some concern about the proxies. With that, I want to talk about the fact that the staff worked overtime. They worked until 7pm every night. They came in on the weekend and they went above and beyond trying to manage a system that we have been using for some 30 years that is quite clearly no longer fit for purpose for the VFF either. I appreciate that there is also some questions or some frustration or some disagreement about the way that I personally sent out proxies and that that too was called into question. Now, whilst there was nothing illegal or unlawful about it, some people said that it was unfair that we didn't provide that option to every member of the organisation. And I'd like to acknowledge that too. So for all of the handwritten system doesn't quite work the way that we you know, expected it to work, I'd like to let everybody know that DocuSign is not, also is not the, the um, answer to everything. Uh, the way that you set it up, the way that it was sending out reminders and the fact that I received about 6,000 voided envelopes on Saturday afternoon, it's also not something that is perfect or without fault and that was me personally sending that out. That idea, I want to assure you, and you can take me at my word or you can choose not to believe me, that idea occurred to me well after the VFF had put out the standard AGM notice and the standard uh, proxy form that we ordinarily do 
And I thought, what's an easy way for me to collect proxies on pe for people who want to support uh, the position that the, the board had put to the members? And I thought, what I don't like doing is driving up driveways and putting someone in a position where they potentially feel coerced to give me a proxy or that they feel like they don't have all of the information available in front of them. The board has made the decision to not bring all of these proxies into question, given that such a substantial amount of them were going to be difficult to call one way or the other. The board, as of yesterday afternoon, doesn't know the very final numbers as to how the returning officer thought the thing panned out. Though the process was completed, it was clear to us that it was a substantive and material amount and the only responsible thing for us to do to ensure that there is democracy across this organisation and that every single member has the opportunity to engage in the same manner was to with withdraw the resolutions. That is Emma Germano, VFF president, speaking there. She was pushed on the abandoned vote by those and many of the vocal critics who collected many proxy votes to uh, put to the meeting to vote against those constitution changes. Ross Johns, former Grain Group president, is one of those. Here's his questions. I collected quite a number of proxies and I drove down the driveways. I sat around kitchen tables. Three and a quarter hours it took me to collect two proxies legitimately and the discussion was around how the VFF functions and operates, what um, was important to those members and I feel... Um, that this meeting hasn't respected that, that amount of time and effort and their personal contribution to allocating their proxy to me. Thank you. Thanks, Ross. Ross, you're quite right that it created so much risk to the organisation that the board made the decision to withdraw the resolutions because it was the only way that we could reduce the risk from both sides. Because if we had have said, oh, all of these ones are invalid and it turns out that all of Emma's are valid, we are quite aware of the fact that that would have triggered further legal uh, potential court cases or legal action, so on and so forth. And as I said from the top of the meeting, both sides were questioning the validity of the proxies and to ensure that we were talking about trust for everybody who's not inside this room, for everybody who didn't provide a proxy, for everybody who doesn't engage, the board had to make that decision. In regards to numbers, I said that there was well over a 1,000 proxies collected from both for and against. At least 15% of them were clearly invalid and at least 20% of them on top of that number, which, as you'll appreciate, is a material amount, were uncertifiable. And as I'm saying, even if we accepted all of them to be valid, which, of course, the returning officer makes that decision and therefore informed the board and the decision was made, and I don't want to labour the point because I think it's been made clear, that the organisation is split. That reasoning isn't washing with many of the members who are there and speaking up at the meeting currently, albeit not all the members are speaking on the microphone. We're only seeing what we can see. Andrew Wiedemann is uh, one of those who has been asking questions of the board. He is that uh, lead plaintiff in the court case uh, that he ultimately lost to the VFF trying to call for a spill of leadership and held those petitions calling for a spill of leadership in the past as well. Here's some of his thoughts and questions for the board today. The two Key questions here are, one, the proxies, what will happen with those that have been submitted lawfully and legally? And what does the Finance Committee really think and the board itself has to take on board 
losing so much money out of the organisation when in the last three years of agriculture in Victoria have been probably the three biggest years, this organisation is the only one that's going backwards. Everybody else's business is booming and so should the VFF, it should be at the top. We're not talking here about reconstructing or a different way forward of funding it. And I love the concept of this membership being one for all. Well, that's great, but that's not the reality of the world here. The number of farmers is dropping. And the reality is the revenues are going up on our balance sheets and it's not matching to the balance sheet of VFF. A levy system such as what is in South Australia is the envy of every other state organisation around Australia. And the reality is that we're not at the wheel working on that instead of here arguing with the board about what we see as the future of this organisation. So from my perspective, yeah, we hear what you're saying, but there needs to be a cultural change within the board and there needs to be some action taken to, to actually recognise that that is one of the key problems. So that's Andrew Wiedemann speaking there. About to get into what this actually means in terms of membership of the Farm Lobby Organisation, its ability to lobby, uh, what it means for their own personal, for the not personal, the company finances and its path going forward. Because that's what ultimately this is all meant to be about, right? Some of your thoughts coming in first, though, on the text line 0467 842 722 is the text line. Macca says, Warwick, I'm not a farmer. But Emma needs to step down. This is just as bad as the vote in the referendum. Emma has to step down, says Macca. Don't exactly get your uh, your connection there, Backer, but I can see what you're trying to say. What an absolute joke these farming lobbyists are. As a young farmer, I won't be becoming a member anytime soon, uh, says this text. Re the VFF, Emma, Germano and the board need to go. Emma's slowly destroying the VFF and the board is letting her, says an anonymous texter. And hi, was why would you join any organisation like this? Listen to this rubbish. Please explain how it benefits farmers. Thanks, says Harry. You can keep those texts coming, 0467 842 722. That's all the ones I have got so far. So what does this mean for the organisation? What state is the organisation is? You heard Andrew Wiedemann talking there about the financial state of the VFF. Here is Emma Germano talking about the money that's going in and out of the organisation and how much debt it has. There is a reality as to how much money the organisation makes and how much money we spend. These things are not controversial, actually. These things are black and white. We're all business people. We understand how balance sheets work. We understand that you can have a $55 million building on Collins Street, but if it's not making you a return or a big enough return, that the equity, you can't eat the equity. So what have we been doing? I inherited an organisation that had $11 million worth of current liabilities $11 million. And maybe that's okay when the interest rates are next to nil, but it's not okay when the interest rates are getting up to 6 and 7%. Members don't want us funding, they don't want to be funding debt and interest. So we've had to make some really significant choices about how we operate the organisation. And trust me, I would love to have. 30 more staff members every single day of the week at the VFF. But how would you like to pay for that? And we can talk about, oh, there's all of these opportunities to uh, bring in different income streams. And that's true. But whilst the organisation is focused on court cases and legal representatives and arguing amongst ourselves and 
responding to media and all of that stuff, what we're not doing is looking after the organisation and doing advocacy for farmers. That is Emma Gemato speaking about the finances of the VFF. Membership has also gone into a spiral as well with many members leaving over this internal battle. When the, the VFF ends up under siege from a, the perspective of being in a court case, that meant that all of us got to the point when we got here and said, we don't feel like we've been heard. But the major distraction of going to court for the organisation cannot be underestimated by anybody. Now, some would say, well, don't go to court. But if we don't go to court, what we're saying is that any member who disagrees with the actions of the board can threaten a court case and the board will change its course. That is also not a safe space for the organisation. The impact on that external commentary on the VFF has been, well, firstly, everybody's talking about the VFF, so maybe that's a good thing. At least everybody's saying... The VFF is important one way or another. The VFF is important. But the damage that that has done has been to the cost of about 400 members over that period of time. The reason I know the number of voting members of the organisation is because prior to running in in the 2020 election in December, I asked for a copy of the database. For the two year period that we put up all of the graphs and showed everybody at the last um, conference, for a two year period, the VFF stopped losing members for the first time in what we can see of over 15 years. I, of course, upon uh, campaigning for the last election, requested a copy of the database again, which, as everybody knows, despite what's been printed in the media, is the right of a member of any membership organisation. I asked for the database the second time in 2022 and the, voting num- the mem- number of voting members was about the same. You can ask anybody who requested those databases at that point in time whether or not what I've just said to you is a fact. And then, in the last 12 months, 400 members gone. 400 members gone. The organisation is in debt. What does this mean for the ability for the VFF to lobby government? Well, the current president has thoughts on that too. We can't be screaming at the government anymore because they don't have to listen. And if we're screaming at the government via the Weekly Times or the Stock and Land or the Country Hour, the only people that hear that is us. We are literally screaming into an echo chamber of people who agree with us. We have to be trusted advisers to the government and to the bureaucrats who are writing this piece of legislation who literally have no idea what it is that happens on our farms or how we go about managing animal welfare. That's current VFF President Emma Gemano speaking at an AGM, which is still ongoing and taking questions as we broadcast to you currently on the Country Hour this lunchtime. You can tell me what you think this means for this organisation. Do you need this organisation? What's going wrong here? You can send me a text, 0467 842 or indeed you can call too, 1300 977 Triple two. Here are your thoughts coming in. I'm just going bottom to top. The fish rots at the head. Emma, happy to spend money on lawyers and waste the VFF's money. Membership has collapsed with no trust. She has only lasted this long as people don't care about these petty politics, says JP. I'm a grazier in Gippsland. I am not a VFF member and don't know many that are. There are countless numbers of part-time farmers that aren't members. The problem is no one sees any value in being a member. It's only for the big farmers. 
farmers. Another text here says, looking into the future, the farmers saying that they won't join an organisation have no say on anything. A levy-based system is the only way forward, says Stephen. Tiger says, Warwick, I reckon all the farmers should just leave the Farmers Federation and see how long that federation lasts. And Jim in the Bush says, when an organisation is this divided, the only thing to do for a board is to resign and the members to elect a new board, perhaps bring in a caretaker leader in the interim, says Jim in the Bush. Uh, Time to wind up. The VFF says another one. Uh, Emma for Prime Minister says another one. Emma, listening to Emma, thinks she talks a lot of sense around process and understanding risk. Can't criticise her for the way... Uh, she has gone about this AGM, says Farmer Joe. And lastly, uh, Rin in Orvale says, Hi, was there? As Andrew Wiedemann said, the finances of some Victorian farmers is positive, but the horticulture sector is the worst financial position it's ever been in. Orchards are fa- uh, failing as fruit prices are continually low. We need VFF as our effective lobby group more than ever. You can keep those texts coming in, 0467 842 722. We'll play more uh, from that AGM as it comes to hand if we need to. Otherwise, we'll move to other stories in the second half of this program. Happy to keep your texts and your thoughts coming in, though. What state is the VFF in? What is the future for the peak organisation that's meant to represent farmers in this state, zero four six seven eight four two seven double two. Fiona Broom has rural news. Good afternoon, Fiona. G'day, was making rural news today. An avocado producer at Carnarvon in Western Australia thinks a scorching hot forty nine point nine degree day could wipe out half his crop. Sunday's top temperature of 49.9 degrees was a new record for the Gascoigne town. That's about nine hundred kilometres north of Perth. Avocado and fruit farmer Wes Bassett says his thermometer was saying it was even hotter than that and it's pushing his trees to their limits. We'll probably lose 40% of the avocados, I would think. I've noticed each year growing avocados here is getting tougher and tougher. We had only one good year last year in about probably eight years for avocados. So, yeah, it's definitely tougher. They're more uh, affected by heat or cold or wind than other trees. We're just going to have to look at the long term and see how often these kind of heat spells keep happening and how much effect they're going to have and what we can maybe do to run with the things and mitigate things and perhaps different watering schemes. I'm not sure, but yeah, certainly we're going to have to keep an eye on it. Carnarvonshire President Eddie Smith says other producers in the area will also suffer losses from the extreme heat. The old bananas will struggle a fair bit. Um, I think all the ground crop guys, I know there's a few people with watermelons that are almost, if not ready to pick. I'm really worried that they're going to suffer a bit of damage. The pastoralist inland, they're already suffering because it's been so long we haven't had any rain. This is just going to make it even worse for the poor buggers. It will have quite an impact upon our, especially our primary producers in in the town and out and around the town. To Tassie now, where the head of Bega Group admits there were too many issues to resolve to keep its better milk factory in Burnie open. Close to 50 employees across the state's north will be affected by the closure of the plant, which has been operating for nearly 70 years. Bega Executive Chairman Barry Irvin says the company purchased the Better Milk and Meander Valley dairy brands along with the plant for $11 million late last year. 
we were aware the the site was under a little stress, but um, it's become obvious to us that the site's sort of operating at below capacity, the safety issues and environmental issues there. And we've thought that the best thing to do for the longer term was to actually amalgamate that site into our site at Lena Valley in Hobart. How much milk is processed there? Um, it's a little over 10 million litres of milk. And will that volume of milk now make the journey to Lena Valley? Uh, so our, all our milk sourcing arrangements that we have in place, we will keep in place, yes. So no farmers will be affected by this move? No. Still in Tassie, where nights are getting cooler, and Tasmania's cherry growers have just shipped off the last boxes for the season. On his orchard in the state's south, Andrew Griggs has had his eye on the premium end of the export market this year. Overall, I have to say it's gone you know, very well. I mean, cherries are a challenging crop, an exciting crop to grow. There's always some issues to deal with. But I think the big thing this year has been uh, the timing of the, China, of the Lunar New Year has worked out very well for the majority of Tasmania's cherries. So we've been able to supply into the gift market in Asia, and um, and that's worked out very well. Our, our friends in in Asia, they really value quality fruit, and that includes cherries. And um, and so and they're prepared to pay you know appropriate prices for for quality. Um, and so that's where our our aim needs to be in Tasmania. We need to we need to be targeting the premium end of the market. And we're hearing reports of a bumper wine harvest across the country, but that hasn't been the case for everyone. Harvest is underway at Topper's Mountain Wines near Tinga in northern New South Wales, but owner Mark Kirby says it's being hampered by rain and the prospect of disease is increasing. We're starting to struggle a bit with these storms that are ricocheting around the area. We were lucky enough in late December and January to be just missing them and they'd sort of ricochet past us. But in the last two or three weeks, we've ended up being under them. We've had about 75 mils in the last three weeks. Wow. Okay. Far too much for this time of the year. Yeah. And um, I was just having a look at the numbers this morning. Um, Our actual averages for December and January and February are about on target. They're about average but the number of wet days you know is between 10 and 15 wet days for december january and february which is just ridiculous the biggest issue is botrytis the gray mold that you see on the strawberries in the supermarket it's very hard to control once you get humid wet weather there's not much you can do about it really you, i mean there are some sprays but when you're this close to harvest a lot of them you can't use so it's pretty tough and that wraps up rural news today was Thank you very much for that, Fiona Broom there with Rural News. This giggled me out of Rural News talking about the Carnarvon heat and the 49.9 and what that means for the avocado and fruit grower. Wally says, by my maths, 49.9 is 50, says Wally. Well, we try to be as accurate as we can, Wally. We don't want you to criticise us and say we're overestimating how hot it was. A couple of quick texts on the VFF before we talk weather. Um, I find these former leaders of the VFF to be akin to a dad handing the farm on, then wanting it back because they didn't like the way the next generation is running the place. Sad, says Tim in Northern Victoria. I like Emma. I wonder if the old boys club don't like a strong lady, says another text. Uh, Miss Germano and her border on the back foot. They need to pivot and not let the door hit them on the way out, says this text. 
disgusting behaviour is added on the end of it. Why would anyone pay membership to the rabble they called the VFF, says another one. Uh, hi, Warwick. Great show. Don't waste too much time on this VFF crap, though. Save time talking about Four Corners last night. The two big stealing from farmers, stealing from workers, ripping off suppliers, ripping off customers. Just bad community citizens, says this text as well. And that is one of the arguments, right? Whilst you're talking about farmers fighting farmers, are you missing discussions on things like that? Uh, John says VFF or any other farmer lobby group won't make any difference. All the votes are in the cities. We're ruled by city politics. And this text simply says, this live VFF coverage sure beats the cricket. Well, I hope so. Love that you're enjoying it, anonymous texter. Uh, 0467-842-722. If you want to send us a text, Michael Efron is a senior forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology, can talk it to us about the weather, and we're keeping an eye on Thursday, particularly with some hairy weather on the way. G'day there, Michael. G'day, Warwick. How's it looking today, though? We'll, we'll move towards Thursday and we'll spend some time on Thursday. But before we get there, what's it looking like around the state right now? Yeah, so it's it's uh, pretty warm across Victoria at the moment. Uh, we do have uh, a low-pressure trough over New South Wales extending south, and so humid uh, east to northeasterly winds uh, across the state. So we are going to see some uh, shower and storm activity popping up through uh, this afternoon, especially about uh, the eastern ranges, but uh, further west through parts of central Victoria, there is a risk through uh, this afternoon and into the evening. I think uh, the greatest risk, however, will be through those uh, eastern parts of the state. And there could be some heavy rainfall uh, associated with those storms. So something to be aware of there. Otherwise, it's quite a a humid day um, across the state with temperatures uh, picking up as well compared to uh, recent days. So uh, across the north of the state, we're looking at tops this afternoon, 32 to 35 degrees in the south, around uh, 26 to 30. So pretty warm conditions uh, across Victoria today. But as we head into Wednesday, we do see the heat continuing uh, to build. So through the north and the west, temperatures around 33 to 38 degrees. And even uh, in the south and southeast, top temperatures uh, around 30 to 34. So quite a warm day on Wednesday. It will be uh, pretty humid once again, with the risk of some showers and storms, uh, mainly through the afternoon and evening, and especially about uh, the ranges. And in terms of the fire danger, so today and tomorrow we're just getting into a, a high rating uh, through parts of the north. Uh, but then late Wednesday into Thursday, we do start to see other northerly winds picking up across the state ahead of a, a trough approaching from the west. So uh, overnight Wednesday into Thursday is looking quite warm with uh, temperatures generally only dropping to about 19 to 24 degrees. In the east it will be a bit cooler, but uh, a warm night uh, expected. And then Thursday um, is is certainly our spike day in terms of the fire danger. We're looking at uh, northerly winds freshening across western and uh, central parts in particular. And in terms of those temperatures looking for most areas at around 35 to 39 degrees for the Mallee, 40 to 42. And with those winds picking up, we're looking currently at extreme fire danger for the Wimmera and the Northern Country, but there's um, a decent chance that we'll see other districts also tipping into the extreme um, categories. So 
something to be uh, aware of there. We do see a uh, cooler southwesterly change entering the far southwest of the state uh, around midday or early afternoon, pushing into central and northwestern parts during the early evening and then not actually moving through the, the east until uh, the early part of Friday. And it looks like we will see some Sharon storm activity developing uh, near that change. So potential for severe thunderstorms, we'll be uh, watching that very closely given uh, what happened last week. I think uh, wind would be the main concern with those storms uh, again rather than um, hail or rainfall. But uh, it does look like quite a a dynamic uh, situation and as that system moves into eastern parts early Friday, I, I think we'll see the rainfall starting to pick up a little bit more. So those eastern districts could pick up 5 uh, to 20 millimetres. And so throughout Friday, uh, we are looking at uh, much cooler conditions. Temperatures in the south around uh, 19 to 23, across the north, 23 to 27. And those winds quite strong from uh, the south-southwest. And then as we head into the weekend and early next week, conditions becoming um, reasonably settled with a, a high moving over southeastern Australia. So the winds ease off and uh, the, the showers tend to clear as well. And there's not a significant increase in temperature either. So northern parts could get back into the low 30s, but in the south we're looking at uh, the low to mid 20s. But certainly focus on Thursday with that change moving through. Yeah and potential for uh, elevated fire danger. So, Michael, just, just on that Thursday, is it likely we're going to have fire weather warnings that day? I would say almost certain we'll have our fire weather warnings out, so they'll be issued uh, tomorrow afternoon. And, yeah, currently we're in northern country in extreme, but I, I would suspect that um, that some other districts would uh, tip in as well. And I imagine with that, even though it's not your agency, we'll, we'll get fire ban information coming tomorrow afternoon too, so stay tuned for that. It will obviously give that to you on ABC Local Radio. And in terms of Thursday itself too, then, Michael, and I know you went through it extensively, but what are the, what are the key hours for different areas of Victoria when that weather will be at its worst? Yeah, so I think for western uh, parts of the state, we're probably looking at uh, from from the morning, we'll see those northerly winds really starting to pick up, especially on the southwest district, so anywhere Ballarat, uh, down towards the Otways and then west to Warrnambool uh, and Hamilton. And then even into the early afternoon, um, those, those winds really start to pick up over the Wimmera and the central district. And then, um, obviously, with the wind change moving through, the winds um, will stay quite gusty. So in, in the Wimmera and the southwest, as they turn west southwestly, they're going to be quite uh, strong. And so it looks like uh, the fire danger will remain elevated even behind uh, that change. So even as temperatures drop, there's still that risk there because of the, the strength of the winds and, and also inland parts, the air's looking relatively dry. So unfortunately not um, the best conditions if there are fires in the landscape. Uh, and, and also I wouldn't be surprised if we do see some raised dust over the northwest as well um, through the latter part of Thursday, given it has been very dry in, um, I guess, the last three to four weeks over western parts of Victoria. Michael, really appreciate the in-depth report. Thanks very much for that.
Thanks, Warwick. Michael Efron there, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology, giving you a lot of information, particularly for Thursday. And given the experiences we had last week, it's important to be informed that it's coming. We'll give you more detail again tomorrow, and a lot of those warnings will be issued tomorrow afternoon. You know where to stay. Peru will be on air in the afternoons here. Uh, you'll get all the information you need to know if you keep listening to ABC Local Radio. Uh, text coming in. Oh, Stewie, sorry I missed your text about the weather. Send it tomorrow. We'll get that information for you as well on how hot it'll be after the weekend. Uh, we've got a bit of time on that, don't we? Let's talk. Well, some dairy farmers have felt like they've been out of time, particularly with getting power to their dairies lately. Dairy farmers knocked off the grid by last week's megastorm have spent thousands of dollars on diesel to run on-farm generators, keep milk cold or just milk the cows. Up to 90% of dairy producers in South Gippsland now have their own backup systems, according to dairy consultant Matt Harms. He's been out at affected farms over the past week and says the interruption to business operations is affecting people financially and emotionally. Look, obviously there's been, you know, widespread and extensive power outages and, and telecommunications outages as as has been well reported. So, you know, the impact on dairy farms is is obviously uh, pretty immense under that situation because, you know, milk needs to be cooled, cows need to be milked and, you know, daily operations need to continue. So the impact's been, been really wide, but it was progressively reinstated. I believe there's still some pockets that are out and, and not receiving power, but right up until Saturday, farms were coming back online. How many people who you've been out to see over the past week have got their own backup power generation? Yeah, every person that I either spoke to or dealt with last week had their own generator. And that's just a huge turnaround from 10 years ago. I I would have estimated sort of 10 years ago that maybe 20% of people had generators and they probably tended to be the larger operations. Um, And now I'm just anecdotally putting it, I reckon 90% now have um, generators. And that's just a huge turnaround in, in the last 10 years or so. We heard from one farmer today, in Wanron who said that he spent about $1,500 on fuel for his generators just over the past few days. What does it cost to actually install and run a generator? Um, And that's a really interesting um, figure that's sort of thrown around because uh, up until now with with sort of smaller scale outages, it just gets absorbed into their, you know, farm operations, if you like. They fill up from the Bowser and and continue on. But, you know, some of these uh, generators are pretty large. We're getting quite technical now and beyond my capability, but um, they're they're large and and fuel trucks were actually running around yesterday to um, last week for a few farms filling up generators, filling up Bowsers because the drain on diesel supplies was was really significant. Um, and that was actually posing a challenge in itself that, you know, these fuel distributors couldn't get around to everyone either. Uh, they had hospitals to deal with and and critical infrastructure to deal with and, and farms weren't high on their priority list. So were most people still milking in some capacity, even if not at full capacity? Yeah, so everyone that I'm aware of uh, was still milking. Um, now, I, I'm not saying that everyone did or that not everyone uh, was impacted um, because there would have been herds that were sort of moved to other people's sheds to milk um, just because of the, the length of time. You know, at this stage of the season, some people can withstand, you know, missing a milking. Um, it's not ideal, but it does happen. Um, you know, being that they're sort of midway through most people's uh, lactation cycles. Um, but I'm not aware of uh, any sort of large 
large-scale direct impact where complete herds couldn't be milked for, you know, a, a number of days or anything like that, which we've seen in the past. We've seen in previous storms and large-scale outages um, where that's actually happened, where people have gone sort of two days without uh, being able to milk. But And this is just why some uh, so many people have had to invest in this um, infrastructure to be able to continue to operate. Do you have an idea? We have heard that some people have had to um, dump milk because they either couldn't keep it chilled or the trucks couldn't get out to reach them to do a pickup. What have you heard about volumes of milk dumped? Yeah, I haven't. I've heard it anecdotally. I certainly haven't. um, And that's really a processor question. And I know they always get a little bit cagey about sort of answering that question directly because no one likes to see it. And and it also does pose EPA challenges on farms, which uh, everyone obviously tries to avoid. So I'm not aware of any large scale um, milk dumping. There will have been absolutely isolated cases where someone may have been not be able to cool the milk at all, or trucks may not have been able to get down down the road, of course, because of fallen trees. But I think that was mainly in that first 12 to 24 hour period. And then usually, you know, the, the processes get onto things really, really quickly and, and work out their runs and where they can get to uh, in order to pick the milk up for people that can't perhaps uh, cool it down quite as quickly. When will farm businesses start to have an idea of the kind of economic impact that this storm might have had? There are still some areas who they're not expecting power back until until towards the end of this week. So a couple of weeks without power will surely have some kind of economic impact? Look, it will. I mean, obviously, uh, diesel use will be fairly high if they've been running on generators. You know, the, it's just a business disturbance, if you like. The impact on a, on a business is hard to actually measure in terms of the inconvenience factor or, you know, the inability to actually do things uh, that they would otherwise be doing because they're essentially, you know, troubleshooting and, and just dealing with longer milking times, um, sharing generators, which is, you know, has been happening a little bit where two neighbours might be sharing the one generator. So, of course, milking time. So, you know, it may be difficult to actually look at a dollar value in terms of a, a business disturbance, but it's certainly, you know, there is no doubt there's a business impact. And the other one that's been a, a really noticeable impact this year has been Stockwater. Probably, I'm, I'm thinking largely because of the, the time and the length of time that some of these farms are, are off uh, power supply. It's easy enough to get generators to run a dairy or, or shedding around um, the home. But when you're dealing with bore pumps or you're dealing with, um, you know, pumps that might be at the other end of the farm, that sort of impact is, is not normally seen. But because I think because of the length of time, but also the time of the year where other water supplies might be limited and they're running off pumps at the moment, that's been a really noticeable level of concern by a lot of farmers that, you know, will stock water hold out? Will they have to move stock to other areas of the farm, which impacts on grazing and, and uh, grazing management? The other thing to consider in this situation, I guess, is is fatigue. Adrenaline only gets you so far through the first few days of a, a bit of a disaster. How are people feeling now when we're sort of a week in? The fatigue certainly was kicking in late last week. You know, communication was coming back online really quite heavily across South Gippsland on Friday. And just, you know, some of the conversations that people were impacted, just it's sort of the juggling and the, you know, not sure when things are going to come back online, juggling sort of lack of inability to communicate and, and, you know, get emails or do anything uh, online, which we're so uh, in tune with doing now. You know, it was was sort of a mental fatigue more so than sort of a, a physical fatigue. So yeah, it's definitely been a draining event. There's no no doubt about that one. 
That is Matt Hunt, who is a, uh, a consultant from On Farm Consulting in Gippsland. He was speaking there with Fiona Broom. Uh, didn't think we'd be doing this, but let's take you back to the VFF annual general meeting right now, where a motion of no confidence in the Victorian Farmers Federation board has failed. Andrew Wiedemann, who has tried multiple times now to remove the VFF leadership, either through petitions for an annual extraordinary general meeting, or through the courts, and now at the annual general meeting, uh, has failed again in his attempts to remove uh, VFF leadership. Here is how it happened. Right. Look, I mean, we all came here in good faith as members today. We've heard from the president. We've heard from some of the board members in relation to um, their views of the organisation. There are a few issues that I feel that have been over overruled and, and overridden by um, the chair. And I think on the balance of what I've heard and what I've seen today, the incompetence unfortunately continues um, with the board. And as a member of the organisation, I therefore move a motion. I'm with... sorry, Andrew, you can't move a motion from the floor. It needs well, to be submitted to we the can't. CEO. 40 days you said prior to the meeting. No, I didn't say you could put a motion. I said that you could make any statement that you like and I'm affording you that opportunity. If you want to move a motion, it has to be submitted as per our constitution to the CEO 40 days prior to the meeting. Well, I'm moving a motion. You're I don't, not what moving you a say, motion. Emma, the members are listening online. That's They're right, they are. We're all sick of it. Mm-hmm. I am moving a motion um, against the board uh, of no confidence in the board because the board should be responsible for what's occurred here, the frustration with members mm-hmm. in relation to proxies, the notice of notification of uh, to members, meeting minutes, constitu- uh, reconfirming the independent directors who effectively from today cannot be directors because they've not been confirmed, and the appointment of auditors should have occurred. So, so for me, it's a mishandling, and I'm moving that motion. And uh, with a show of hand. Your motion is not accepted. That's not how a motion works, and you know that very well, Andrew, because well, you're usually quite You're not going to accept the motion you've just said. Because of the rules in our constitution. So thank you. No. We will take it. I'm about to close the meeting if this is going to continue. Motion Andrew, if the question, if the... Hang on a second, Ross. Hang on a second, Ross. Where's the respect? If the respect is to put your hand up and wait your turn, that's the respect. Andrew, excuse me, excuse me, Andrew, in regards to your question about the appointment of the auditor, uh, I'm going to have to take the question about the independent directors on notice, but the appointment of the independent directors happens by the board, as you know, and that's as per the Constitution. Well, I'm going to have to take that on notice. and we'll... No, it is on notice. It is on notice. Because... Have you got a response to that, Gary? Hang on a sec. No, I don't have to do anything right now. That is... Some of the debate that is continuing at the Victorian Farmers Federation annual general meeting at the moment, I'm not sure, and it doesn't sound like anything is going to change or anything is going to be solved, but we'll keep covering it. And if there are any further developments, you'll hear that either on your rural reports tomorrow or in the Country Hour. Hopefully we get to talk about more things other than that tomorrow on the Country Hour as well. A couple of your texts just before we go to markets. Uh, this one saying, uh, was read the VFF, seems to me. We have people bullying Emma Germano, spoiled brats, not getting their own way. Emma was voted in democratically. Give her a fair go. Get on with the issues like fair prices, says the Marawini sheep farmer. This one says, though, it's such a shame that VFF leadership has forgotten. VFF is membership-based organisation. Consultation and engagement have been lost in the corporatisation 
of the VFF, says Mark from Colac. And Glenn says, get a group of farmers together bagging greens, kangaroos and climate change, and they're all happy. But when they go for each other, wow, says Glenn with a crying, laughing face emoji. And at that point, we'll go to markets. Market time. We'll go to Ballarat Sheep and Lamb Market. Shiona Lamb has those details for you. Take it away, Shiona. Good afternoon. Lamb numbers dropped away to around 20,000 after last week's cheaper market. Quality also fell away with several unfinished lambs offered throughout the yarding. Heavy lambs presented in mostly excellent condition. Not all the buying group attended, with a few processes absent and not all were operating fully. In a softer market to a week ago, light and medium trade were three to six softer, heavy trade to eight cheaper, heavy export sold to six softer. Lambs in wool were the most affected and discounted as buyers were uninterested and sold to 15 cheaper in places. Lambs back to the paddock sold 10 to 102 and lambs to feed on made 106 to $138 a head. Light trade lambs under 18 kilos to suit MK order sold 74 to 122 a head. Young lambs in wool, 18 to 24 kilos, sold 116 to 150 dollars a head to average 560 to 620 cents. Shorn lambs, 18 to 24 kilos, sold 118 to 160 dollars. 24 to 26 kilo lambs sold 152 to 170. There is still 5,000 sheep to be sold. This is Shiona Lamb at Ballarat for MLA. Thanks very much for that, Shiona. Let's go to the cattle markets now. We'll start in Wodonga with Leanne Dax. It was a very mixed quality offering at Wodonga, leading to noticeable fluctuation in prices as buyers tried to navigate their way through. A total of 1,440 head were presented, attracting the usual crowd of buyers with a significant absence of feedlot orders in play. Top quality veal ignited competitive bidding, driving prices up by 20 cents, ranging from 340 to 4.12. However, lower plainer quality veal experienced a decline of up to 20 cents, fetching prices from 2.12. 20 to 320. Trade cattle were scarce with heifers fetching 240 to 346 while trade steers sold from 290 to 320. Feeder steers encountered difficulties in drawing buyers seeing a decline of 30 to 40 cents with prices ranging from 250 to 340. Feeder heifers also witnessed a decrease of 20 cents selling at 240 to 292. Heavy steers were firm selling between 253 and 288 while bullocks experienced a slight easing of $0.05, cents, selling at 256 to $2.94. I'm Leanne Dax for MLA. Lucky last is Nicole Varley at Shepparton. Well, the numbers declined significantly as prior week's price corrections deterred many producers from sending cattle. There are 860 exports, 380 trade cattle pen. The quality of the yarding improved as cattle had more cover and weight this sale. Heavy steer numbers were scarce. Price trends were varied and altered throughout the sale. Medium and heavy growing steers met a slightly stronger demand to lift back over the $3 mark for the Angus steers. The cow job was flat. Odd sales did improve, while others sold at cheaper rates. The growing heifers sold at similar rates to the cows. The trade cattle had fewer dairy-infused types of sale. Feedlotters and restockers were actively sourcing the planer stock, which helped lift some of the prices on some lines. However, the processor cattle showed a lack of enthusiasm. The best of the vealers made to $3. Supplementary yearling steers reached $3.38. Majority of the yearling steers, $2.60 to $3.35. Yearling heifer portion, $2.20 to $3.10. Medium and 
heavy steers up to 600 kilos, 240 to 319. 600 kilo plus bullocks, 250 to 266. This is Nicole Varley from Shepparton. A couple more of your texts just before we get to the top of the clock. Uh, what a complete stuff up, making a meal out of it. Wow, says Kylie from Daysdale. Bully boys, you're prob- part of the problem, not part of the solution, says Lindsay. Hi, Warwick. Listening to that, the VFF should change their name to Very Funny Forum, says Stephen at Curlwa. And this text probably sums it up for many of you listening today. Generally, the feeling on the line, when are they all going to grow up? Have a great afternoon. We'll be back with you tomorrow.